Hi guys, welcome back to the PTC podcast today. I'm with Sam Morris. How are you doing, Sam? I'm very good, thank you. Nice to see you, Keith. Yeah, well. welcome. Yeah, Sam and I met each other in Nepal. Um, it's two months ago now, isn't it, when we were doing Everest Base Camp? Yeah, a little while now, yeah. And uh, you were famous for your what, uh, rowing the Atlantic two years ago. I saw recently as well, that's on your story. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that and we can start there and just rock and roll? Sure, yeah. Well, actually, my endurance journey started in 2015 when after being in Dubai for eight years by that stage, I felt like I needed a lifestyle change. Uh, so that's when I got my first rescue dog, um, signed up for the MDS. So I ran across the Sahara um, and uh, carried on doing ultra marathons. And then a few years ago, decided to do something a bit bigger. So uh, signed up to row across the Atlantic and to raise awareness about plastics in the oceans. Oh, cool. uh, we, we did it for two amazing charities as well. So one of them is called Azraq, which is the Arabic word for blue. And it's the first uh, ocean charity in the Middle East. And also we did it for Plastic Oceans UK, which has just been rebranded as Ocean Generation. Uh, and that was made famous by Sir David Attenborough, uh, who said everyone needs to watch their documentaries, uh, in particular a plastic world. So we did it um, for those reasons and obviously personal reasons as well. But it was absolutely amazing. 38 days from Lagomera across to Antigua. So where's Lagomera? Uh, next to Tenerife in the Canary Islands. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then all the way across to Antigua, 38 days. Yeah. How many guys were in the boat? A few of you? Uh, in my boat, there were three of us. But in total, in my race, there were 36 boats. Oh, it was a race, was it? It's a race every year. They call it a race, but obviously it's about survival. But, yeah. But it's quite cool having the race scenario because then you could get to sort of check every day when you get your little satellite dish out and get the messages yeah. dropping you see where you are in the, with, uh, with the other boats but after about six hours you set off and after about six hours you do not see another living wow. soul uh we passed th three cargo ships and one yacht in the whole time one of the cargo ships came very close really yeah and we think the captain was asleep at the helm it was the middle of the night so we were on the deck with a laser pen and a flare gun oh, really? trying to radio them as they were coming towards us and uh, eventually they uh, they woke up and obviously they were like we can't see you and we're like well we're a tiny little rowing boat and we can't get out of your way and he's like well i'm a big cargo ship it takes me miles to turn and luckily he missed us by about two kilometers which is actually very close in nautical terms wow yeah um i didn't know that that's intense so then the yacht is how did the, the yacht see you how did you, who was on the yacht yeah the yacht saw us uh again that went by probably about probably at one kilometer away um one of the tempting things is to radio the yacht have a chat and we said hi to them on the radio but it's tempting to call them over and have a chat and then they start to offer you food and stuff like this and we were pre-warned about it and obviously you're there you're sleep deprived you're you're running on a calorie deficit and there's there's someone offering you a can of coke or something like this so, so we made sure we didn't say to them come alongside and uh, what happens and if they give you uh, like a some food well probably no one would find out but then that would be classed as um like as an assisted crossing and we okay. were doing an unassisted crossing so ah, so the whole race is unassisted you're unassisted, not allowed help yeah. yeah so you had everything then you had all your supplies all your food all your water yeah uh everything so so water we had a uh i think it's called a schenker 30 which is a desalinization machine okay. so that makes about 30 liters an hour so once a day when the sun was at its highest charging the solar panels and our lithium batteries that were stored in the hull uh, we would run the water maker and make about 30 litres of water, which would last us uh, for 24 hours. So we'd have about 10 litres each a day. Oh, really? Yeah. So talk, what's, a, what's a normal day then on a, on, a, on a rowing boat rowing across the Atlantic? A normal day? Uh, well, oh, what's a tip? What's a, what's a yeah. 
It's yeah. What is it? What is it like? Uh, well, for the smaller teams, so so either twos or or the fours, the regular um, um, size teams, they have regular shift patterns. So they do two hours on, two hours off. Some teams at night time they go to three hours on, three hours off. Three hours on, you mean three hours three rowing? Hours on the oars, yeah. On the paddle, on the yeah, oars, yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas we were a three, so our shift patterns were a bit more complicated. We tried a, a number of different things, but after three days, we actually went to two hours on, one hour off in the day. And then at night time, we ended up going to solo rowing. So you, so you did a two hour shift. So it meant if you were first or third shift at night time, you got two blocks of four hours off the oars. So really cool. there's two people paddling is that what you call it in the daytime rowing yeah to get it rowing yeah. at the same time apart from at night time we went to solo rowing because we worked out actually that we were keeping up a similar speed with it with one person rowing at night time and are you i'm gonna ask you some pretty stupid questions here is your or one side or is it two sides two sides yeah okay so both of you you're one in front of the other yeah same time keeping the same rhythm exactly yeah 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 so um there's something called crabbing which is when your your, your spoons of your oars hit and in big, big waves, that happens quite regularly. And it's really, really annoying. You get a massive bang because like somebody's oar gets stuck in a wave. Yeah. And we had these like weird freak waves that suddenly, like you're rowing along and you're in quite big seas and suddenly you get this huge wave coming towards you and something happens and it spins and it comes down the side of a boat. So you look to your right and there's nothing. You look to your left and you can put your hand into the water. There's oh, like really, really weird things, but then your oar get, is, is like stuck and it's being pulled this way. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, there were like strange scenarios like this, but it was pretty cool. Um, so you've got to keep rhythm then with the your 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 teammate, yeah. and then so you're outside the boat. You're exposed to the sun. You're exposed to everything. Yeah, t- twenty four hours a day. You're outside. Oh, really? Yeah, and because of that, because of the heat, obviously the sweat from the exercise, you're rowing twelve to fourteen hours a day. And on top of that, all of the sea salt, you yeah. get some really, really bad sort of, sort of salt sores on your butt in particular. Yeah. So when you come off the oars, you're not just resting. You, you come off the oars, you fix your wounds, first of all. So most of your butt and your hands, your hands are also locked and the blisters turn Eesh. to calluses. Yeah. Um, you then have to get your, your like calories in. So you're eating around five, five and a half thousand calories a day. That's really about the maximum that your body can absorb the rest of it would, would just go through you but you're expending around seven to eight thousand calories a day so there's a great photo of us uh from lagomera and then and then once we arrive in antigua i lost 11 kg in 38 days and you're not you're not a you haven't got an extra 11 kg to lose well we all carb loaded it was really fun like oh, three yeah. or four weeks before so there's a two-year leading period so you do two years of training you know getting bulked ready for it and then you then have like four, six, maybe eight weeks of just eating and drinking everything. You're just trying to stack on extra yeah, extra energy. Yeah. And, and then the the race organizers, they get you to Lagomera two weeks before. I think now they've shortened it to 10 days, um, but two weeks before. And there's a purpose to that, which is obviously like the mental side, because you need to disconnect from the real world before you go out to sea. Right. Um, because it's that extreme. Wow. But the other side is actually uh, the carb loading side, which which me and my team, we took very seriously. We were in the Blue Marlin Bar, which is like the home of ocean rowing, where uh, where, where every ocean rower sort of sets off from when they do the the Atlantic. We, we, we were in there um, every night taking our carb loading very yeah, seriously. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then your next day, just, just topping up those carbs in case yeah, you, yeah. you danced a few away. Yeah. Um, so the boat then, just what does the boat look like? Or how big is the boat? How small? Like... Talk a little bit about the actual... Uh, the boat is 8.2 metres long. Um, it's got a flat middle, and that's where the three rowing stations were. 
at either end there was a small cabin so okay. so, so for sleeping or like in a storm this is where you would lock yourself in the cabins were also airtight so you always have to have the doors locked in case you capsize because then the boat will self-right because of the air pockets in the cabins. So that was really, really important thing to be aware of. And I'll come on to a story about that in a minute. Uh, in the middle of the uh, deck, you have like little, little portholes where we stored most of our food. We also had various equipment. We had our life raft in the middle, our grab bag in there, and our desanalization machine. In the stern cabin, so in the rear of the boat, you have all your essential equipment. So that's your your radio, your navigation, your AIS, which is your automatic identification system that alerts you to any other boats in the area and them to you. Um, and then in the bow cabin in the front, it was slightly larger, so better to sleep in, uh, but it was used more for storage, it had more storage lockers, and also had the uh, the on and off switches for the desalinization machine as well. So how, so how big is that cabin to sleep in? Like you're having one or two people at a time or just one or what? You can squeeze in two people, but it feels like you're in a coffin. You're literally like this. So in the rear cabin, in the stern cabin, you, you're there with your feet underneath the deck. So literally your feet mm. are in like a box. And then the rest of you are kind of like this. But there's a bit of space where you can you know, reach up and, and you yeah. can touch the ceiling. In the front cabin, in the bow, yeah, that, there was a bit more space and your feet are not actually underneath anything. You're, you're just in a small little, little box-like room. And how difficult was it to sleep? Like when you're trying to get some... Oh, some you're dead. so tired. You're so sleep deprived. Yeah. So you're bouncing around, even in the big seas. So we had three days in the middle where we got the tail end of a storm and we had these huge waves, absolutely huge, just relentless coming at us. But it's interesting because in the middle of the Atlantic, they're more rollers. They do break a bit at the top. So you see the white horses at the top. Um, but yeah, some of them get really steep. So if the wind hits them at the right angle, it, it, it whips them up. So you're almost vertical. And we were getting maybe 17, 18 knots in some of these waves. And occasionally you get these waves coming at you and then they just start to break at the top. And then the wave just comes over the boat and you just get absolutely soaked. And, you, and it was a bit scary at the start. I was going to say, does that not just terrify you that it's going to push you off? Oh, it does, it does. But then as the race goes on, you start to crave the big waves because as soon as it's dead calm, it's like rowing through treacle. So you start to crave the wind and the waves. And you get used to it. And then you realize that the only two ways you're going to die ocean rowing are like going overboard and not being clipped on. So when you're on the deck, you're wearing a harness and you're always clipped onto the deck. Right. And um, a life jacket. And a life jacket. Uh, no, no, no. Like life jackets are optional. So. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, like you're clipped on. So as long as you're clipped on. Yeah. Uh, or if you capsize and one of your cabin doors is open. And then the cabin floods and the boat won't self-right. So in big seas, obviously trying to get uh, uh, water out of a cabin is not going to be possible. Uh, trying to get the life raft out going underneath the boat is really dangerous with the boat in big seas and slamming on your head. So, yeah, we had to um, make sure that our safety protocols were always... What are the likelihood of if your cabin door is open, the thing capsizes, that it sinks? Is that a possibility? Probably wouldn't sink because there are, there are other air pockets, sealed okay. compartments in the boat, but it just wouldn't self-right. Okay. So there is a manual hand pump on the outside of both cabins, but again, trying to seal the doors in rough seas, yeah, pump out that would just be, be an absolute nightmare. So what would you do? What's the plan? Well, then, then somebody would have to go under the boat to try and release the life raft and then get the grab bag, and then you would get onto the grab bag. And then in the grab bag, and in the life raft, you had something called uh, an EPIRB, which you've probably seen on boats. They're, 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 they're pretty big. They're about this size. And they've got a little area on the top. And they, are, they, they send out an emergency signal to a global satellite network that then goes to the lifeguard in Falmouth. So it's a global system. And then they coordinate with local lifeguard and rescues and cargo ships, etc. So, so then you would then 
have to uh, wait for rescue. So normally a cargo ship. In the Atlantics, you would hope someone would get to you within 24 to 48 hours, maybe three days. Um, and then the other thing, speaking about life jackets, that was that was a fun conversation because rowing in ocean is an expensive thing to do. It's it's about 140,000 pounds with the boat and all the equipment and food and everything like this. So obviously there's limited budget. So as a team, we had a big discussion about life jackets as one of the items we were buying. One of my teammates, he wanted to get the cheapest life jackets possible because he was like, look, like, should we go overboard? You're dead anyway. And I get it. That's probably true. However, I wanted the best chance of survival. So I thought, <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, yeah, you are probably dead. No one's going to find you. But still, I still want the best chance. And we, we ended up getting the sort of, sort of you know, high to mid-range ones. We saved a bit of money on the life jackets. And actually, what was the kind of budget difference? Like, what, how much are you talking? Are you talking oh, thousands? Yeah, they're these like, sort of cheap Russian ones you can get for, you know, 20 quid versus, you know, I think, I think ours were like two or 300 quid. I can't remember now. It was a couple of years ago, but yeah. So, yeah. And, and the overall scale of 140 grand for the full price tag, it's not that much... Yeah. Difference. It's yeah. not like they're ten thousand for sure, each. but it all adds up when you're yeah, yeah, limited okay. budget. So, uh, so yeah. And then the other thing as well, as well as the EPUBs on the boat and in the grab bag, th those like big yellow things with little aerials. We also uh, part of the race rules is you've got to have a PLB on you, which is a mini EPUB, and they just sit in your life jacket. So should you go overboard, you also can push a button on this thing, and for 24 hours, we'll send out a signal to the same satellite network to the Falmouth Coast Guard, who will then coordinate a rescue. So we were also told, if you go over as a group, do not all set off yeah, your PLBs yeah. at the same time, set them off one at a time. Yeah. So that kind of stuff, yeah. Because I was going to say, 24 hours is like, God, you hope you'd be found in 24 hours, but yeah. also you might also be dead in 24 hours. Yeah, so. sharks. <laughs> oh, no. Was it, do you see sharks? Yeah, yeah. You saw them? Yeah, so, so the sharks generally followed us. So we just see a huge fin just following you, maybe 50 to 100 meters behind. And they're just like wondering what you were and you're just going to really? you know, they follow you. Like but the movies? Yeah, yeah, literally just, just, just that. And then the, the dolphins and the whales come up alongside you and around you and the dolphins play, play at the bow That's in front cool. of the boat. We saw sea turtles and birds. Um, there was one. Any hallucinate, any mermaids, any. Yeah, I saw a couple <laughs> of things. Uh, I saw a giant <laughs> spider come out. Really? I also had an Emirates A380 fly above me. And it was an actual Emirates A380, or it was like well, it was about 100 meters spitting rainbows and like, sprinkles on top of you. Well, yeah, it was, it was just mad. And uh, obviously, then I realized it was a sleep deprivation. Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but like, just because we went to our uh, solo rowing at nighttime, we managed to get a bit more sleep in than other teams. So we didn't hallucinate really as badly. You, you know, we were probably getting maybe six hours sleep a day, I would say, so maybe seven if we we're lucky. Uh, not in one up. go. Yeah, no, no, broken, broken up, up yeah. eh? Wow. So yeah. for 38 days, you're getting blocks of how many hours sleep most at max maximum maybe two two and a half hours really? in one go for 38 yeah. for 38 days yeah so what kind of toll does that take on like the um the team's interaction with each other like the well well there's obviously the physical side as well as the mental side so if i start on the physical side we all made sure we had a buddy buddy system so every day we would take out our food packet packets which were about five and a half thousand calories. And we always made checks that everyone was eating all of their calories every day. You know, occasionally someone might say, I'm feeling a bit rough today, I'm gonna to leave one or two of my meals, whatever it is. And they might go down to 3000 calories for that day. But then, then we'd be just conscious of that and keep an eye on them. And we had these sort of Huel shakes, et cetera, which are like four or 500 calories each uh, to, to, to top us up if we needed. Um, so, and then on the physical side, we also made sure that each other's wounds were okay and sort of helped each other out if we needed, sort of patching up and bandaging and whatever. 
the mental side was quite interesting. So we all had our different coping mechanisms. One of the guys in my boat, every time he was off shift during daylight hours, he wouldn't rest. He would busy himself doing things. He, he would empty out the cabin. He would he would rearrange a locker. He would readjust the bin. And that was his coping mechanism. That was, that was cool, his thing. Uh, the other guy went quite into himself uh, a bit more, and he would spend a lot more time in his cabin, sort of, you know, sleeping, dozing, doing his thing. Uh, I think I was pretty much like that as well. And also, I did, like, little video blogs. So I've got a couple of videos. I think I posted one on my Instagram, which was when I was at my very, very lowest. It was about four days to go. And you know, the sleep deprivation, the sorts of everything. I just wanted to be there. And I've got a video of myself just, just talking to myself. And, and that helps because you talk to yourself and then you watch it back and it puts things in perspective. It really makes you sort of visualize yourself like you're watching yourself on television, like you're watching a documentary, and then you're like, oh, and you snap out of it. So I'd highly recommend doing like little video blogs. If you're ever at a low, j just talk about it to yourself and then watch it back, and it puts things in perspective. So what, how did it make you feel? Like, what, you, you see yourself struggling. You see yourself speaking negatively, I presume. You want to be there. What kind of things are you saying on the video, first of all? Uh, I was just talking about how long to go, why I was feeling like I was feeling, you know, a few days to go, I'm sleep deprived, the salt sores are getting to me, blah, 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 blah. Um, we also had a big sign in the cabin saying, leave your shit attitude in the cabin. And we had these, these sort of mantras. And for my ultra running days as well, I have a, I, I've got a lot of fun, uh, fun mantras, you know. So, so more serious ones, but I've got some fun ones as well, which I just say to myself and suddenly puts a smile like on my what? face. So the serious ones are like, never give up. Uh, you've got this, all that kind of, that kind of stuff. Uh, I used to run with an ultra runner called Kim Looney. He was incredibly fast. She was always in front of me. She was amazing. Uh, and I used to follow her up Fossil Rock. We were just talking about running in the sand dunes at Fossil Rock. And that's a huge sand dune. It takes about 15, 20 minutes to get to the top. And I'd follow her up Fossil Rock. And she'd always be just ahead of me wearing tiny little little pink running shorts. And she'd turn around and give me a wink. And I always, <laughs> yeah, I'd always shout back, fuck you, Kim. And uh, so anyway, that turned out to be one of my uh, matches. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'd be running along and be in a dark place. And I'd just mutter, fuck you, Kim. And I'd put a smile on my face. And it'd bring back memories of Fossil Rock, the pain going up. Cool. The massive sand dune. And psychologically, it just made me a bit happier yeah. so um, you watch yourself down on the video what do you what does it snaps you out of it what takes you back to what well when you watch yourself it puts things in perspective you suddenly snap out and you think I'm watching a third third person so like when you're watching somebody on television when you're watching a documentary you're thinking about that situation more objectively than the person who's in it because they can't see out of that situation so yeah uh, when you watch yourself back, it actually then just suddenly you snap out of it and it, puts, it, it, it just puts it in perspective. And while you come back to like a less frustrated, less... Yeah, okay. very much so. Very okay, much so. really, yeah? Yeah, you, you, you suddenly think to yourself, solutions, not problems, I think. That's yeah. the main thing. Okay, yeah. very cool. Yeah. yeah, that's good advice. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be rowing across the Atlantic, but... I think you should. You've got the guns for it. Well, the idea... <laughs> 38 days? I don't know. Like, yeah. sitting in a boat for 38 days... I can't see that because it must have been torture. Do you know there must have mm. been moments where you're just because because like you, I've done some long runs and you spend a lot of time just in your head. But that's sort of why you're there for the run. But when you go into these long training programs and long uh, duration like expeditions or whatever, like going up mountains, there's so much dead time where you're just thinking. And you know those thoughts, they come and they go, but it's just, it, it can just torment you sometimes, you know, to do 38 days in a boat with two other guys or three other guys. I don't know if I've got the... Uh well, 
this is something I go and talk about in my talks now, and I say that everyone can do these things. It's all in the mind, and it's all about the mental training, mental toughness. And once you sign up to these things, as we were just saying to Desto a minute ago, just sign up and go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, yeah, literally, once you've signed up, uh, you're then committed, then you work out how to do it. Yeah. You know, fake it until you, what's it? Uh, yeah, fake it till you make it. Fake it till you yeah, make yeah. it, yeah. And then on the uh, um, mental training, I mean, we, we, we spent a long time as a team doing sort of ultimately marriage counseling, but we did it in a positive way. So rather than sit there in a group and say, uh, you know, Will, you annoy me doing this. Toby, you annoy me doing this. We, we, we self-identified. So I would say, uh, I, Sam, know that I can annoy you guys by doing X, Y, and Z. And every month or two months when we did this, you'd write down a list, as many things as you could think of, and you'd go around one at a time, one at a time, until you'd finish. And let's, let's just say I finished first. The other two guys would keep on going. And once they'd finished, they'd finished. And then we'd then go on to then flipping it back the other way and say, you know, Sam, thank you very much for identifying that you snore in the night. How are you going to mitigate that? And I just turned around and said, look, just punch me if I do that. You know, I don't care. Oh, you know, little, little things like that. Or, 32 yeah. days in, though, someone's punching you because you yeah, haven't yeah. got sleeve. Yeah, 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 yeah. It must be different. But it's a really positive way to self-identify how you might irritate other people rather than a negative way to say you pissed me off by doing something. of a self-identification which turned into a positive exercise. So, again, I'd highly recommend that if you're ever doing anything in a team, it, it's a really good exercise to do. So what kind of thing were you, what was your XYZ? I might annoy you guys for... Uh, I, yeah, my list was too long to go <laughs> through. <laughs> what was, okay, let's ask you. All, yeah. What was the thing that ultimately did annoy the guys that you did? So for me, uh, I was the main, I would say the main organizer. So I brought the team together uh, I, and then uh, I sort of, sort of came up with a plan of actions and generally sort of... Um, wanted to push, 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 push. And I realized I was annoying the guys and um, by trying to get things done too quickly to my time frame. So I was then very conscious of that. So so during the programming phase of it and the, and, and the planning phase of it, I had to step back a bit and ease my foot off. And I realized if I then set deadlines, rather than say, guys, why haven't you done this? That's annoying, I sent you this a week ago. I then set deadlines and, and would say, look, look, if this is not done by you know, seven working days or whatever, I'm going to jump in and pick that up. And then that way, we agreed that that was a good way to, for me to deal with my sort of OCD and obsession with planning and, and then not to step on their toes as well. So. That was in the pre, uh, whatever, pre-launch yeah. phase. Yeah, yeah. So there's a two-year lead-in to get to the start line. Yeah. And uh, who, st who created that two years? Is that just how long it took you or is that what it's they advise? It takes from, really, yeah. from the initial concept, signing up to the race, so then ordering the boat, uh, there's a lead-in period to get the boat made. You've got to go on lots of training courses as well. So there, there's actually a set week for ocean rowers uh, with um, a company in the UK. So I had to get back for that. So I had to go, uh, this is during COVID, I had to go via Iceland for oh, 11 right. days to avoid the Heathrow quarantine. Yeah. I spent 11 days in Iceland and then went back to the UK. When I landed in the UK, everyone from every country was mixed into the same melting pot at customs. So it's completely pointless exercise oh, yeah. sending people away. Anyway, I got through, did the course, then we went straight to, and the course was everything from sea survival. So if somebody has their head cracked open by an oar, how are you going to fix that at sea? Because no one's going to come and help you. You, you, know, you need to get that done. So we, so we did the full sea survival course, uh, you know, learning how to use the life raft, life jackets, uh, how to fix the water maker. There was all sorts of things. There was navigation, VHF radio. It, it, it was an incredible course. And then... Uh, we then went straight to the boat, and to qualify for the race, you need to spend a minimum of 120 hours on the boat. So that's five days minimum. 
uh, training on it, as well as obviously training on rowing machines and, and, and all the physical stuff you do. So five days minimum on the boat. And because I lived overseas, I couldn't get back because of COVID. And I had planned to come back for lots of long weekends. Where were the guy? Where did the guys live in the UK? They were in the UK. Okay. So I had to come back and just smash this five-day row. So we went out into the North Sea for five days. Now I finished. I can tell you, we did cheat. We rode into estuaries and stopped at uh, little pubs for lunch and stuff like that. Instead of what? Oh no, you had to be self-sustaining again. Yeah. So 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 those hundred and twenty hours. There are various rules. There's I think it's forty hours or something. You have to be at night time. You've got to do another. Uh, I think sixty hours in the open sea. There, there was all sorts of rules and regulations, and, and we had to take videos of us showing the race organizers we knew how to use wow. our kit and equipment and safety yeah. equipment and stuff. So anyway, we would do all these like, like tests, etc. And then we would just row into an estuary, uh, get, uh, find a pub with a nice little pontoon, tie the boat up, go and have a nice uh, dinner and a couple of pints, and then sleep on the boat and row back out the next morning. Okay, so then you've done your two-year lead-in on the prep and on the seas. Um, how did you feel, like nervous, excited? Like what's, what's the tension like going into the event with the team? It's electric, absolutely electric. Um, I had the most emotional conversation with my father that I've ever had. Oh, really? The morning of the race, I asked him to meet me in a coffee shop uh, in Lagomera. Um, I told him not to bring mum, so she stayed in the hotel. And he came down to meet me, and I slid across a, a piece of paper. And it had all of my bank accounts here and in the UK, trading accounts, real estate, whatever it was, everything, slid across to him. And I said, this is just in case I don't make it back. This is going to make it easier for you. Um, we then had a chat. I told him I was going to make it back, not to worry, but just in case I said, you know, I mean, then we sort of had a big hug, said goodbye to him. I said, I'll see him at the uh, pontoon. I went to the race start briefing with my teammates and then w walked down. Uh, also, the day before was quite interesting. I w went off on my own. I suddenly felt I needed to, to like have a sort of release. So I went on a little trail run. And I got to the top of this little hill and I overlooked Lagomera Harbour to my left. And I looked to the right and it was literally the direction we were going out into the Atlantic. And there was just nothing there. And I did a little video. It was about, I, I called it the, the unemotional man showing some emotion. And I was basically talking about how I'm looking forward to, but I'm quite scared of being stuck with, stuck with my own emotions. Because there's no television, there's no internet. So, you know, yeah, here in the real world, if you have a dark thought, somebody annoys you, whatever it is, you've got all these different things you can go to. You can go and just, uh, just go and have a drink with a friend. You can go on the internet. You can watch a movie. But in the Atlantic, you're just stuck with your own thoughts. And that was quite a very scary concept. So I sat there and I did this video of myself, talking to myself. Uh, I think I posted online as well. But I was just, ju just saying that for me, that was one of the most scariest things about the Atlantic Road. The physical side, I knew I could get through. Your body adapts. And you know that from ultramarathons as well. You know, you, you know, you go through these lows, but your body will always push through. Your mind's going to break first. And it was this isolation, this this not not having any thing that you can do to to take your mind off it besides eat, sleep, row, repeat. That's what scared me the most is having to face up to old dark thoughts. And how was the reality of that? Did that fear match the experience? Uh, no, it was absolutely fine. You you start to realise that you're a lot stronger mentally then you give yourself credit for. And any, any dark thoughts that you've had, you know, throughout your life, they do come up on the road and you think about things. Um, and, and also, I had another mental challenge on the boat. I was dating a, a, a girl, uh, sent her money to come to the finish line, and during the row, her messages got colder and colder and colder, and I had to block that out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had to sort of, sort, of, sort of not think about that, plan out 
my future with her, which is what I was doing on the boat, because you have these positive anchors. And when I got there, she obviously wasn't there. So for me, that was quite, quite mm. devastating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Um, but everyone has their mental battles. Um, how do the guys do? Like, was there any any m- breakdowns, any meltdowns? Any? Yeah, everyone has their moments. Yeah. Uh, mine, my moment was when I never used hot water in the morning, and boiling water was quite an effort in a little jet boil in rough seas, and you're there. And I never used the hot water in the morning. But as a team, we said whoever comes off the morning shift does the uh, first boil of the day, and then at night time we did a second boil. Um, and in the mornings, I, I think we have about a week to go and I just threw my toys out of the pram and I just said, guys, I never use hot water in the mornings. I'm not doing it. If you guys want hot water, you do it. And I went in my cabin, sort of calmed down a bit and I just came out and said, sorry about that, guys. I realized I was being a dick. Blah, 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 blah. Um, did, yeah. you, did your chores? Hmm? You did your chores? Did my chores, yeah. 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 Uh, one of our teammates, he had a moment actually when we were coming in. We, we, we could have come in at about one or two in the morning, but we decided to, to about 20 miles off the coast of Antigua. Very difficult thing to decide but we decided not to come in in the darkness so, so you've been out there for 37 days at this point and we thought we could, could just get in but then we were like it's better to come in in daylight our friends and family be nicer for them and then all the bars and restaurants will be open as we come into English Harbour and Antigua so we put our oars out and then the plan was to come in at sunrise but one thing led to another and we we, we got in at eight or nine o'clock in the morning one of the guys didn't like that and we didn't understand at the time why he was upset we found out afterwards and we said sorry we weren't trying to sabotage the timing to come in which it just happened and then another guy had a moment over uh, um, the use of the water maker so we all had our like one moment yeah um, but but as a team we finished and we're still talking um, is it okay to say rude stories on a podcast maybe shoot yeah. yeah we'll see just just maybe I was gonna say don't say any names but so, tell so, the story so the head safety officer was, was telling us in one of our training programs about two guys who were, who were friends since they were four years old and they were now in their 40s and they did the race two years before us and they got halfway across and one of the guys said to the other guy I can't take it anymore and the other guy's like, what, what, we've been friends for, for, you know, 40 something years now. What are you talking about? And he goes, I've been sleeping with your wife for the last six months. And, 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 and he used that as the example of how you need to be fully open, honest and transparent with each other before you go out. Because your emotions will get heightened by a thousand out there with the sleep deprivation and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Very, so what very happened the rest decision. of that race? For those two well, boys? Well, I obviously put my hand up. <laughs> and, I, and I said, was the wife there at the finish line? And he said, no comment. So, yeah. Did they finish the race? They finished the race, yeah. They well, well, there was no other choice than the middle of the Atlantic. Did they can press that little yeah. beaker button and get a helicopter no. to take him out? And no, no, no. So, so, half, so they did the second half having that revelation. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, okay. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing about being halfway just, just suddenly made me think of this massive storm. We got caught in the tail end of it. So we weren't in the storm. It was just pushing these big swells. The very first night, Will and I were off duty at the same time when we were both asleep in the battle cabin in the front and Toby was on the, the oars. And at this stage, about halfway across, we, the weight distribution of the boat had changed because of you know, eating food from different lockers and things had moved. So suddenly, on these very, very steep waves, the boat would, would, would be almost sort of vertical at times, which meant the rudder came out of the water at the very, very top of the wave. So suddenly, the rudder alarm would go off and it would lock so we, we, we would get these knocks on the door, and it happened three times. So, and Toby's there going, get out on the deck, get out on deck. And we already knew it was big, big seas. You know, you're, you're looking at basically like rows of houses just coming at you. And, it, and at nighttime, it's even more scary because you just see these walls of darkness coming at you. So there we were, and Toby's on the deck. We, we jump up, you, you put your harness on, you're wearing a, your, your sort of wet shorts, and you just get on the deck, and you just see these walls of darkness, and suddenly you realize you're beam on. 
So if you're you in a boat, what? so so like side onto the waves. Okay. So in a boat, if you're facing the waves, you just ride up and down and over them like this. If you're side on, that's when you start to roll and you capsize, and it's really really dangerous. So we're side on to these absolute monsters. Um, and it was the only time I saw panic in the other boys' eyes. I was like, right, yeah, guys, this is. This is it. This is serious. So anyway, we had to get Will and I in the oars. So trying to turn a well, three or four ton rowing boat, it took two of us in big seas. And Toby had to time it with the cabin to basically put his head out the, the door and go, three, two, one, start turning. Tell me now, tell me now. And then he would shut the door, lock it, and then try and try and engage the, the auto helm so that we we're going in the right direction again. The issue was with the st- steepness of the waves and the momentum of the turn, we, it took us multiple attempts to get the boat back in the right direction and then re-engage the auto helm. It happened a few times, and then Toby worked out it was a weight distribution issue. So then we actually moved some of our stores to the to the rear of the boat, and actually when Will was not rowing at night time, he would then sleep in the stern cabin, which meant there was a bit more weight in the back, which kept the rudder in the water. But yeah, three times on deck, I thought, I thought this is it. This is it. This is... Yeah, this is game over. Um, yeah, so so that was the only time I was really scared on the road. That's terrifying, yeah. man. Because it is the case of you. It's not like uh, at least when you're on land, you've got you're not going to drown. Firstly, you can probably find somewhere to shelter and hold until somebody hopefully comes to find you, or you can at least relax rest recover and hopefully feel better the next day and then make your own way to a, a more rescuable spot but in the ocean like it's, it's you're dead you're gone no time yeah 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 like this is the ultimate test of physical and mental endurance and you really really work out who you are when you do it yeah uh, there's no room for ego you, you've just got to get on with it and it gives you this amazing positive mindset as well so, you know, in the past, if, if things weren't going right, you might just suddenly have a tantrum and go, you know, I can't, fuck this, I'm going home. Mm. Or as you say, you know, go and find shelter. You just had to face it. Yeah. 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 Like, how can I fix this? And, he, and you get into that mentality. Yeah. We had this a similar, I mean, it's, it's completely different levels, but when I was doing an adventure race in India and we we're completely lost in the jungle um, in the sense where we knew where up and down was. We were following a riverbed. The, ro- the, the jungle was getting pretty dense. Was four of us with the with our mountain bikes going through thick, dense overgrowth, handing bikes to each other, ha- passing it down the, the kind of the wa- these rocky waterfalls. See, like that scares the crap out of me being in a jungle at night time. I've done but it. This was daytime, it. thankfully. Oh, okay? It was daytime, <laughs> thankfully. But uh, what it meant was, okay, we're lost. We know where we have to go, and it's down. We've just come from up. We're on our way down. We we know the trail back up, and we can retrace our steps, but. It's easier to beat, we have to beat our way back up because we're beating our way down and it's, it's, it's either up or down, that's the choice. So down is easier way to beat. The only risk that we're potentially facing going down is we get so dense, we can't beat through it. Or we get to a, like a 20 f- uh, a waterfall that's just way too high to, and it's just a rocky waterfall, there's no way down. So those two things were the only two things that I was thinking are gonna be the the stopping point and with the with the denseness of the bike of the overgrowth we could dump the bikes worst case scenario dump the bikes walk out the canopy was too thick of like the leaves and stuff was too thick to be rescued we hadn't we were out of water we had a little stream below us and we had these little water filter things but we were, were trying not to use them because it just you don't really want to be drinking river water yeah. um and 
it, but it was just a case of it puts the problems in perspective because it's like there's no other problem right now that matters it's just yeah. we just have to the problem i've got to manage myself i've got to manage my interaction with the team and we've got to manage just as a team to get down the hill get down this whatever and then i remember when i think it was the that next day or going to the airport the day after uh i got a message from someone and they were like is this event that we've been talking about in the past, is this event happening a few months away i'm like yep i need to know now so i can because people are asking me yeah. was the was the message and i was like that's such an insignificant world problem do you know that this person is putting on to me they they want me to solve their problem by telling them when the event date is so that they can then tell other people whereas i just beat my way out of a jungle yesterday you know <laughs> this this problem doesn't matter yeah but to them it's a big problem do you know what i mean yeah you see that mindset is what you uh, um, gain from doing these adventures yeah is it's a positive i can fix this mindset yeah rather than let's find some help i want someone else to do this for me um, yeah and also there's this is i get what you're i get how you're seeing the world right now there's people asking you you don't quite know the answer and it's frustrating you so now you're asking me for the answer which is fine but the little bit of haste that you put into this message i'm like can this is not a big problem yeah. i'll get it i'll get you the info when i get you the info and then you'll tell the people whether it's tomorrow or whether it's a week they'll still have it in a week yeah. like this is not a big issue so that was that really made me realize ah like some of these problems might seem yeah. like big problems it's trivial stuff yeah this person yeah. just let it get into their get get into that little spot in their in their nervous system they're like they're ang angsty now they're push push yeah, push yeah. It's like calm relax come to the jungle with me <laughs> yeah, yeah. then you'll don't get your, your your problems in in a perspective yeah but i don't know about fighting yeah. midnight monsters on a boat in the well, middle a of the ocean example of that actually was the 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 trip we just did to everest you yeah know, when yeah when we had the helicopter yeah things going on and we were trying to get out and we were stuck on everest because of bad weather yeah and um uh myself and my nephew i just said to him look it's pretty obvious we're there's no chance we're getting a chopper today. Let's just enjoy it. Yeah. So we went to like the little hut and we bought some beers. Uh, I think we bought a packet of cigarettes as well, which is a bit naughty. Yeah. And we just there literally thought this was the coolest day ever. Helicopters coming in. We're in the middle of the Himalayas. Just enjoy it. Have a couple of beers. Yeah. yeah that's relax. it. And there, and there were people around who were out of their comfort zone and you could see that. And um, again, I, yeah, I took that experience and I sort of tried to make it into a positive experience for Hugo, my nephew, yeah. to really say to him that these situations will happen. Don't worry about it. You know, eventually we'll get off the mountain. Yeah. It happens. So, and we did. Yeah, exactly. And I, that's probably, so, some people have had experiences like you will have that mindset, whereas, okay, we're now off script. What's, what's important? Everyone's safe. Everybody's, yeah. nobody's hurt. Well, one girl actually was hurt. We did have to get her down. She'd hurt her wrist. Um, so she had an element of urgency but everyone else okay fine so now even with that person we can put her forward first for the first opportunity and the rest of us yeah. can get down anybody who had altitude sickness it had passed by now because we were down so low but uh th there was a lot of people in the group who had that mindset yeah this is it this is the adventure we're in nepal yeah, yeah. we're making decisions we're, we're going to push through and figure out the next problem in a minute yeah. and then yeah like you said some people they uh they didn't see it that way and I, I it's interesting because 
it's kind of like what you said where you have your moment with your hot water you go into your cabin you collect yourself pretty quick by the yeah. sounds of your story some people let i would hope they've collected themselves and in retrospect they look back and they go yeah. ah it's probably a bit too late to apologize now i'm just gonna get on with my life yeah whereas some people would reach out and apologize yeah. do you know it's like okay i should have maybe not even apologize because there's nothing that warranted a, an apology but just an acknowledgement of yeah, yeah. oops kind of yeah. i fumbled the ball there a little bit sorry Definitely. sorry guys yeah. you know we, we could have been a, we could have all pursued that goal a bit more unified yeah. um so sometimes you just don't know what people reflect upon it yeah and actually the mindset of okay this is something i can do better or faster it's something I went into the row thinking sort of subconsciously. But actually now I've realized that will this help me get to the end goal if I jump in or shall I let that person run with it? And now I just let people run with things. Yeah. I'm a bit more sort That's of... That's a very interesting... Yeah. You're absolutely right. That is... Yeah. I never looked at it that way. There is... In a large group like that, there is people who have ideas and yeah. suggestions. And it's like... I don't know if all these suggestions are going to be helpful. Yeah. And then some of them are definitely not helpful. Yeah. Uh, and kind of one person throwing out suggestions, they're trying to help, they mean well, but it's like uh, there's more information in circulating here than yeah. you than everybody is not privy yeah, yeah. to all the information. So sometimes you just need to sit back. We're still a team. Yeah. The, 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 those people on the f that we're on the phone to have our best interests at heart. We have everybody's best interests yeah. at heart. If you guys can just look after your little mini pods, look after your own little yeah, micro um, interests, you yeah, know, yeah. in your little friendly groups, keep everyone happy. Definitely. <laughs> then we'll then we'll we'll get there. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Now you you look at those things back, like you said, you have your moment. You've you've reflected on your experiences. You hope some people reflect on their experiences, yeah, and they yeah. go, ah, do you know what? I could have been. I could have done better. Like I know, looking back on that on that day, I could have done better. There's things I could have done better with, you know myself and uh and caroline were yeah, like life's a learning curve yeah. you know it yeah and then so it's just like yeah. we were in the mountains in nepal yeah the airport was closed yeah we don't speak the language yeah do you know it just for anybody listening it wasn't a massive problem it was just we were trying to find multiple ways down off the mountain as quick as we could because we all had flights to get out of the city the next day yeah um and then we had to make some sacrifices and stay an extra night just a quick shout out to vince as well vince yeah. had an amazing positive mindset all the time he was brilliant vince yeah. is the man <laughs> so on the trip we yeah. uh, each evening we do these highs and lows like what's your high what was your low yeah. and usually the lows are like oh when i stepped in the in the yak poo yeah. do you know the low is not like i went when i hate you sam you've been bothering yeah, yeah. me all day <laughs> with that with that thing you keep doing it's not like that it's like what's uh, a bird pooed on my shoulder yeah, yeah. you know that's the kind of low that that's the fun and the high is oh you know a really good views or i really liked when this happened it was amazing vince had no lows and it wasn't that he was just like nope there's no lows everything's great he would have a think he'd sit there he'd quietly be like um all good yeah yeah no i don't nothing everything's amazing yeah, yeah. this is like such a good thing yeah. it's like this is amazing vince is absolutely the man so He's yeah great, ma massive yeah, shout yeah. out to him yeah um so this mindset um stuff is actually something that i've now started to work on with my new venture yeah so i'm taking what i've learned from my ultra endurance sort of sort of sort of skills set and i'm now going to apply that to the corporate world so I've set up a new company where I've collected now about 25 inspirational speakers. 
and we're going to be doing two tranches. We're going to be doing ad hoc talks for corporates. So that could be fun after dinner speaks. Uh, it could be you know, more serious sort of corporate uh, things where we're going in and actually talking about life skills learned from, from ultra endurance and expeditions. But then there's the actual corporate program side as well. So I've teamed up with an award-winning psychologist called Tess Pereira. Um, so, so I can go along, let's say, and talk about my row story, talk about my career and my row story, and link those two together and talk about all the benefits. Tess can then jump in and go, great, uh, you showed great uh, um, like teamwork there or leadership or conflict resolution, whatever it is, and talk about it from a psychological perspective. And then I'm then going to bring in more speakers on an ad hoc basis for like different modules who are specialists in different areas, mm. you know, ex-army guys talking about building award-winning teams or uh, ultra runners talking about the importance of endurance and whatever it is. So, so I, I'm basically building out this amazing corporate program that's going to be quite unique and it's based on people who have reached the top of the corporate world, set up their own businesses, whatever it is, as well as uh, um, have had these amazing life experiences and, and how that's benefited them personally and their careers. So that's what I'm in the process of doing yeah, right now. That yeah. That is good. I mean, a lot of those things, when you go in front of a corporate world, you can talk to them about all the psychology stuff, but if it if it comes across like you've read it in a book or you've listened to it on a podcast, it doesn't have the same impact because yeah. they could read it in the book. They could listen to that same podcast. They know how to process information. But what, what, what you're doing differently, which I think is great, is you've got people who've got stories. They've proven they've done it. And I'm, I'm sure in the corporate world, the higher you go, you get that kind of appeal to authority, mindset, complex, yeah. whatever, fallacy, whatever you want to call it, where unless the person's walked the walk, are they able to talk the talk? Because I can listen to a podcast, so I can read a book. Yeah. But getting people who've done those, you know, if, if you have led military teams, if you have competed a marathon to celebrity, and then now it's different. Now you have my attention. Yeah, and also we're looking at it from two angles. One of them is the, the, the like senior guys in the C-suite and how we can benefit them uh, with, let's say, building teams and all that kind of stuff. Then the other part is actually looking at the youngsters. So, so the Gen Zs, they've got a completely different mindset. So the likes of me and you, when I started working, you know, I worked at Deloitte, et cetera, and I would do 12, 14, 16 hour days, and I was never told the bigger picture and blah, blah, blah. Uh, these kids nowadays, they're coming into companies and they're doing three, six, nine, twelve months, and they're like, "What the hell is this?" You know, yeah, yeah. There's far more to life than this. So then they're leaving. So setting up a program where companies can support youngsters who are coming into the corporate world for the first time and saying, so, saying, saying, we're a great company, but we'll also support you externally to help you follow your dreams and drive your passions, and then you can bring those skills back to the company. And that's going to really benefit you as an individual and your career as well. So that's something else that we're really pushing for these corporates is, is to take on these programs. Get us in there. I've linked up with like Sean Burgess and Caroline with Summit Expeditions as well. So we can take people up Kilimanjaro, mm, yeah, Everest Base Camp and stuff like that. Uh, as well as the inspirational talks and guidance and that side for these uh, these people. And try to get them to set goals beyond their beliefs. That's the plan. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, we try and do the same in the gym. Rather than just trying to lose weight, put a big goal in the diary and let's get moving towards it. Why do you think... You youngsters are doing three six months and then leaving like what's the what's the issue there have been various uh, various studies uh, a really good example i just met with uh, a chap who used to be the ceo of a bank here uh, he's late 60s and he's talking about one of his kids was just offered a role at sotheby's uh, a big auction house you know global brand and 
his kid decided not to join the big global brand, instead decided to, to go and join a startup because they didn't want to have the the pressure and responsibility and the, the timekeeping, et cetera, of being being with with a large company. So it's just been a shift in mindset. I think it's just the um, school schools and universities now and kids are coming out and going, going, there's more to life than literally being a cog in a machine. I want to know the big picture. I want to use my skills. I want to add value. And I think that's where companies now need to adapt mm-hmm. and actually allow people to follow their passions and their dreams, find out what their strengths are and let them run with it. And, and, and you're starting to see the shift in the older, more established internationals now. But that's why more of the youngsters have been wanting to go join the smaller, newer startups because they get that freedom. Oh, well, listen, joining a startup, you're about to experience it. We've had a startup for the last few years. It's definitely got its uh, stresses and strains. So yeah. Sometimes the stress of falling in line with a system where a lot of things are taken care of and you've got a, you do have a pathway, you do have a plan, that can be a lot more, uh, a lot less stressful, we'll say, in the, in the long term than yeah. lying awake at night, having just found out that whatever supplier or dealer or, or financial revenue stream was about to come in is not coming through. so yeah good luck to that Um, so what's the company called we'll wrap up now in a second but what's the company called Endurance XL yeah dot com is the website Um, yeah as I said I've I've already got without trying about 20-25 inspirational speakers I've got uh, some amazing people who set up um, sort of extreme medicine uh, so they sort of sort of worked works sort of like testing out the science behind getting doctors into extreme environments uh, I've got people who have run ultra marathons, ocean rowers, ex-military people. Yourselves on there, Keith, as well. Yeah, coming on board. Yeah, I wouldn't put me um, ahead of any of those people. But yeah. if you, if a lot of people call in, <laughs> <laughs> uh, who else have I got? I've got uh, sort of award-winning psychologists on board. I've got an economist as well, uh, Chris Payne. He's he he's regularly on Bloomberg and CNN and stuff like that. But Chris has an amazing journey. He went from being an investment banker for 15 years, becoming morbidly obese. Then he transferred to to the sort of economist world, uh, trained up in that, and uh, wrote a book called The Economist Diet. Got published, and now and now he is one of the 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 main economists in the region. Um, so he he can come along, talk to companies about his journey from investment banker to an economist, talk about the losing weight and the sports side. He now runs and he does triathlons and stuff like that. And then he can then then give companies, you know, macro and micro sort of economic overviews and sectoral overviews and stuff like that. So again, I've, I've got a broad range of speakers. Yeah, lovely. And uh, yeah, super cool. Looking forward to uh, to. to to next year and getting going. Yeah, yeah man. Best of luck yeah. with that. And anything you want to talk about or promote for here for, through us, let me know. Appreciate it. Um, so where can people find you online? What's your social media stuff? Uh, I'm under Desert Adventurer uh, or there's the company website and Instagram. Yeah, yeah like that's endurancexl.com or the Instagram um, again. So. Beautiful. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Sam. We shall chat to you again soon. Cheers, guys. Cool.